we are going to talk about the, the title of the message, The Marks of a Jesus-Centered Family. And we'll get into more of what that means in a minute. Um, Roxanne, do you think you can get me some water? I forgot to. There's some in the back. Um, so we're going to, to look at this passage, and in this passage, and we'll get into it in a little bit, but this is one, I would have to say, by many people in the world today, I don't think it is this way in this church, but by many people, this is probably, there's one particular verse that is probably one of the most hated verses in Scripture. So we're going to look at that, and we're going to try to explain that and give it a little sense of meaning and understanding today. And by the time we're done, if you still hate that verse, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> but anyway, what I'll do is we'll, we'll read the passage. Uh, we're reading Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 through uh, chapter 4, verse 1, and then we'll pray. So let's, uh, let's look at God's word, starting at verse 18. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands that is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly mas of those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Chapter 4, verse 1, Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this section of Colossians, and we look at aspects of family, we look at aspects of relationship. Lord, we pray that you would give wisdom, that you would provide guidance during this time. Lord, your word is important to us. Your word in every aspect is inerrant, and it is for us. So we ask, Lord, that you will give us that understanding today, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are talking about family in here. And really, we are talking about relationships. This has to do with relationships all the way around. Uh, it, when it brings up slaves and masters, it's talking about relationships. When it's bringing up children, it's talking about the relationship that you're having with your, 
your children, with your father, with your mother, with your spouses. This is the important aspect that we look at that, how we get along with friends, how we get along with family, how we get along with people in the church, how we get along with the people that we work with. So there's a lot of different aspects to this and we wanna look at it and try to get some understanding so that it's helpful to us. My main point this morning is it is God's heart behind the words that brings light to his love and desire and leads us to a place of a loving family. It's, it is God's heart behind the words that brings light to his love and desire and leads us to a place of a loving family. So these are my points, and there are four points, and they will be brief. But the first point is foundational, and that's why we're going over it. I'm not going to tell you anything you haven't heard, but it is foundational, and we need this one. The first point, um, and I'll read through the points, but Scripture is Scripture, and it's good for us. Okay, Scripture is Scripture, and it's good for us. Let's just make sure we have that down, and we'll go from there. Then, submission and obedience are as messengers of love. People are already getting antsy about that one. Jesus never forgets the kids, and then evildoers will get it in the end, okay? So that's what we're going to look at. So scripture is scripture, and it is good for us. Scripture teaches us many things, and if we look at scripture in a worldly way, if we look at scripture in a non-biblical way, we will apply it in a way that it never was intended to be applied. It's not going to work for us. The temptation is, um, the temptation for me really is to tell you how <laughs> this passage should not be looked at. That's the temptation. I, I, was, I was very tempted to just spend time saying, it doesn't mean this, it doesn't mean this, it doesn't mean this. And we'll get into some of that. But I, don't want, I want to tell you what it does mean. It's important for us to understand that aspect and uh, not how we should not interpret it. So if we apply it in a worldly way, if we apply it in a non-biblical way, it's not going to work for us. It's much better to spend much time finding out what it means. So we want to remember this. Scripture is Scripture, and it's good for us. And when we read Scripture, the thing we should do is always check our heart. When we're looking at scripture, check your heart. Don't just feed your emotions. Don't just take things for face value. Check your heart when you're reading scripture. When you're applying scripture, check your heart, okay? Don't just react to scripture in applying it. Always check your heart in light of scripture so that you can get the right aspect to it. See, too often we react to things and we don't look at the big picture, okay? We don't look at the real reason why everything happens. So like if we're at work and somebody asks us to do something, you know, and, and it's really not our job, maybe it is our job, but it's an inconvenience to us, and we're thinking to ourselves, what, are your hands broken? Can't you do this? What kind of an animal are you? Are you a dictator? What, what, who died and made you king? You know, what are these things that go through our minds because somebody asked us to do something? When Bauer asked me to do things, absolutely nothing goes through my mind, Bauer, nothing. I just, I just ignore it. No, it's, it's, uh, no, but what we do is we just react to these things so easily, and it's just, 
so hard for us and it doesn't help us. What is your initial response when people ask you to do things? It's something to look at and we have to look at our heart. It's in my heart, my response, my emotions, my attitude that has to be looked at. So when we're looking at this passage of scripture, we want to look at my heart, my response, my emotions, my attitude as we delve into this a little deeper. Because I think, personally, I think this passage has been misinterpreted many, many times over the years. And, uh, and it's disappointing to see how it's misinterpreted and how it's misapplied. If you look at this passage alone, it looks like a command. It looks like a demand. It looks like a set of rules, rules that infringe upon our freedom. And see, you're already starting to rise up. You're affecting my freedom. You're in my space. You got to get back. And people say, submit to your husband. You're going to say, but my husband's a goof. Why do I want to submit to him? Or you say, love your wife. Well, my wife doesn't give me any reason to love her. Why should I love my wife? Well, that doesn't negate the fact that scripture tells us to do things and we need to understand it a little better. We get, too often we get caught up in the ink on the page and not the spirit of the word. And we have to look at that. <clears throat> you can't apply this passage or find any life in this passage, first of all, unless you look at the context of the passage. The passage Bauer shared the last two weeks, particularly last week, was very important for us to understand this passage. The book of Colossians can be cut up into little pieces and you can sit there and decide what you like and what you don't like, but you're missing the whole piece. You're missing the whole thing. If it, and you have to read a book, you read it progressively, and you have to take the whole thing together. It's kind of like a progressive dinner. I have to have a food illustration. A progressive dinner. How many of you have ever been to a progressive dinner? Okay, for those of you that have not, a progressive dinner is you go to a different house for every course of the meal. And it's kind of a fun thing, especially if the food's good. It's great, great fun, and it takes a long time, but hopefully nobody lives too far away. But you, you go there for your hors d'oeuvres, and you go there for your salad, and then you go somewhere else for your soup, and you go somewhere else for your main course, and then for your dessert. Well, if you go to a progressive dinner, and you just get the salad, and you're not allowed to go anywhere else, you're not going to like it, because it's missing all the good parts, because the salad isn't the good part. You're missing all the good parts of the meal. In scripture, too often we miss the good parts of scripture because we immediately go to the bad part and we say we don't like that. We say it is bad, but we haven't put it in with the rest of the meal, realizing that it is very important to have that part of it. Does that make sense? I don't know. Anyway, so we'll find that it all fits together for our good. It's for the good of our families. These passages do that. And it's for the good of our testimony as Christians how we look at this and what we say about it. But we have to understand it first. So let's look at the context. I want to look at, go back to what Bauer shared last week. Look at verses 12 through 17. We're going to read these passage so we can put this into perspective. Starting in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, 
kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing hymns and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Paul talks about compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, all these good things that are that are helpful in relating to one another. Patience, bearing with one another. Love bears all things in 1 Corinthians 13. Forgiveness, love that binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is putting the things of Christ, making him the center. It is positive, it is hope-filled, it is faith-filled. These are the things we look at, and we looked at that, and when Bauer preached that message, my hope was was increased. My faith was increased. I said, this is great stuff. And then we read verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands. And you're going, what? What in the world? Verse 18 through 22. Let's read it again. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. It's all rules here. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything. For this, is ple- this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. It's like there's truths out there that Bauer preached about, and now we have to act upon it. And all of a sudden, we, we realize it's harder to act upon it than to just kind of take all the good stuff in. Now we have to put what Paul was talking about last week when Bauer shared with us and then putting it together this week. What in the world? Did Paul just trick us? That's what we start to think. We start to wonder what's going on. He sucked us into this loving, caring thing and then all of a sudden we have to do something else? It requires work. He pulled this obedience thing in us. And the husband doesn't have to obey at all? I mean, what kind of passage is that, you know? But the word of God is the word of God. Scripture is scripture, and it's good for us. Scripture is scripture, and it's good for us. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped in every good work. So let's move ahead and understand the scripture, understand what Paul's trying to say, and realize, my main point, it is God's heart behind the words that brings light to his love and desire and leads us to a place of a loving family, which is what our goal is. This is what we want to do. So let's look at the second point. Submission and obedience are his messengers of love. And people are going, boy, that's an oxymoron right there. 
Submission and love, you can't put those together. Wives, submit yourselves to your husband as fitting the Lord. Husbands, love. Children, obey. Some of the most practical verses and some of the most hated verses. Some of the most confusing verses and some of the most verses that are rebelled against in Christendom today. And I'm not saying in this church, but if you look and you read articles, people are saying, well, these really aren't practical. The cultural verses, we shouldn't really do too much with them. We are free today. Everybody has rights. Everybody has this and that. And yes, we do. So how do we put the two together? And that's the important thing. These are verses for our good. It's scripture and scripture is for our good. So let's get some understanding. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. Let's talk about submission. Submission. A heart of submission is part of the Christian life. Submission goes along in the Christian life. If you look at passages of scripture, James 4, 7, submit yourself to God. Okay, that's the word submit there. Ephesians 5, 21, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians 6, 1, children submit to parents. Hebrews 13, obey your leaders and submit to them. Some of you look at us and go, no, I'm not doing that. Submit to them. They're keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And then we get to verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting the Lord. So we need to have some clarity about this word submit. But let's look at as is fitting to the Lord first. And that's pertaining to uh, fitting in light of who God is. In light of, as, for example, poor example, but if your husband tells you to rob a bank, you shouldn't do that, okay? Don't submit to your husband if you rob a bank, unless it's the one that Elizabeth works at. It's okay, she'll just give you the money. It wouldn't be fitting of the Lord to rob a bank. <laughs> now, we could go into this whole thing a lot. I, I don't want to uh, get into it, but if, if we're learning about Scripture and we know Scripture and we understand Scripture to a degree, we can tell what is something that would be fitting for the Lord or not. It's a, it's a time for another message for that, but, but that is something that we need to realize, okay? There's a caution about this, though, because when we're looking at what is fitting and what it isn't, especially in a marriage relationship, but it can, it can be in a work setting, it can be parenting, it can be whatever, this is my caution. Don't become a scrutinizer. Don't become a scrutinizer and scrutinize every little jot and tittle that a person says in order for them to find out whether, well, is this fitting or is it not, you know? And we start to judge that person. We judge their motives. We look at their heart. And what we should be doing is look at our own hearts. So I want to caution you in that. That would be the only thing I'm going to say about that. Uh, and if you want to discuss this further about what is fitting in the Lord in marriage relationships or any other relationships, talk to one of the pastors. Don't talk to me. Talk to one of the pastors. And, no, we can set up a time and, and get into it much more. But let's look at the word submit, because this is, this is the elephant in the room. Submit defined. The word has two aspects to it, and I think it's very important. The Greek word has two aspects to it. One of them is a Greek military term, and submission here, for example, is to arrange troops 
or divisions of troops in a military fashion under the command of a leader. That's one aspect to it, to arrange to uh, arrange under these leaders, to, to be a subordinate, to subject yourself or to put someone in subjection. This is the military aspect to it. To subject oneself, to obey, to submit to one's control, to yield to one's admonition or advice. This is the military version of it. Non-military version, or the normal way of life of using this, uh, is different. You know, you need that kind of military submission. It's important, or your, your troops are going to run willy-nilly everywhere. Yes, I did say willy-nilly, okay? They're just going to take off, and they're not going to have any order to them whatsoever. But if we take the non-military view of the word... Like when the soldiers went home, they applied it differently. And it's a voluntary attitude of giving in or cooperating. That's what the non-military use in the Greek means. It's assuming responsibility and helping to carry a burden. Now, since none of us, is anyone in the Greek military here, anybody? Anybody? Okay, none of you are in the Greek military, so you shouldn't have a problem with this. Let's leave the Greek military version away, and let's take on what it means, and let's care for one another and cooperate with one another and move in that direction. We should assume that we apply it in a more civilian and civil way of life. Too often we have looked at the husband as being a sort of CEO, of the family, the general, the drill sergeant. We looked at him from that military organizational side of the term without looking at the practical. Submission is not, and then this is where I'm gonna say what it's not, it's not unconditional obedience. That's not what submission is in this Greek term. It's not unconditional obedience. It's not coercing to get something done. The verse never refers to a husband making his wife submit. That has nothing to do with submission. That has nothing to do with this verse. That's not submitting. God has created a structure for families, for functionality and communication and cooperation so that you can get somewhere as a family. But it isn't militant, and it shouldn't be. Verse 19 says, let's look at that. Husbands, love your wives. And do not be harsh with them. Most husbands forget to read that when they're always looking at the wives submit to your husbands and they never get past the next verse. Maybe they have, you know, slow readers. I'm not sure what it is. But most husbands forget to read this one. They, they read wives submit, kids obey. Wives and kids are looking at verse 19 going, um, duh, you know, dude, where's the love? Where's the love? So we want to look at love defined here. And love here is taken from the word agape. It's a version of the word agape, which is uh, 1 Corinthians 13. It's that perfect love, God-given love. But if you break it down to this version of agape, it means to welcome, to entertain, to be fond of, to love dearly, to tell dad jokes. That's what it means. No, not dad jokes. Okay. 
I was going to tell a dad joke, but I won't. Practical, it's relational, it's interactive, it's involving, it's communicative. That's what this love aspect means here. So if you're not doing that, dude, it's time to love your wife. And this is what's going on. You need to love your children, to welcome her into your life, to communicate with her, to treat her right, to work together, to cooperate. That's how this works. And it works well. Now, real quick, if you haven't, if you're not submitted to God, and this is important, you aren't going to understand what submission is. You have to submit yourself to God to understand submission. God is not some general with a hammer just coming down on us all the time. He's brought love into that. We submit ourselves to his love and his grace. Verse 20, children obey our parent, your parent in everything for this pleases the Lord. If you rebel against your parents, you're probably rebelling against God, okay? If you're rebelling against your parents, you're rebelling against God. God has given you parents in your life to help you to learn and how to relate and obey God in a greater way. So you want to practice with your parents. Um, it's easier, really, when you come right down to it, obeying God, you don't want to do it backwards, trying to obey your parents and not God. It's not going to work. Learn to obey God, and it's going to be much easier to obey your parents. If you obey God, you'll be able to obey your parents in a much easier way. Well, really, everyone. If we all submit to God, it's much easier to submit to others. That's a, an important part in here. Let's keep moving, because I know you're hungry. Um, point number three. Jesus never forgets the kids, okay? No matter what age you are, all right? <laughs> Jesus never forgets the kids. He never forgets the kids. Verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, provoke here, well, let's define this. New American Standard Bible says exasperate. Don't exasperate your children or irritate them or frustrate them. Um, now, some fathers will do these things. I don't know why they will do these things. Don't ask me why. They have issues. They shouldn't. Don't exasperate your children. Don't irritate your children. Don't frustrate your children. They're wrong to do it. And if you're, as, uh, if you're exasperating your children, I have two words for you. Stop it, okay? Just stop it. Don't exasperate your children. Don't discourage. Bring them to a place of discouragement. Children are a gift from the Lord. They're a gift from God, so stop irritating your gift. Just don't do that. Love your children. They are a gift from God, and they're to glorify God along with you as a family. And that's what Paul wants us to see. In an everyday, more practical manner, the word also means to stir up or excite or stimulate, not just irritate or exasperate. It means to stir up, excite, or stimulate. So when your kids are supposed to be getting ready for bed and your wife is working very hard to get them into bed and you go and start wrestling with them and stirring them up and getting them so that they can't sleep, you are not helping. So don't do that. Love your wife and help her with the children. Don't stir them up and excite them and all that, okay? Do yourself a favor. 
love your wife. Basically, our kids are supposed to be envisioned, not discouraged. Discouraged means here brokenhearted. That's what the word is, broken in spirit. That's what he's talking about here. Are we breaking our children's spirit? Are we breaking their heart? We're supposed to be building something in our children, but building poorly does not give a good foundation. We don't want to build poorly in our children. We want to build something that's going to, to help them. There's a difference. There's the whole aspect of encouragement. We want to encourage our children, but there is a worldly encouragement and then there's a spiritual or a Christ-centered encouragement. I think we need to look at this just for a minute to know the difference between the two. A worldly versus a Christ-centered encouragement. There's a difference. And um, in a worldly encouragement, it's, it's kind of a, a removal of God-given boundaries in their life. We, we want them to know that they can do anything. You can become president of the United States. When I was a kid, that was such a big thing. You can be president when you're, you know, I don't know what they told the girls because back then they wouldn't let girls even do half of the things that they can do now. You can be president. You can do whatever you want. You can make sure you get a career, though. Make sure you get a career with benefits. You have to have a career with benefits. If you don't have benefits, you're not going to make it. Now, most of my life, I have not had a career with much benefits. I'm still here. I'm 67 years old. God has taken care of me. You don't have to worry about anything. Trust God for your life, and he will take care of you. There's no problems here. But when we give this worldly encouragement, it leaves God out of it. You can do anything you want, but God isn't in there. And you don't know how it's going to turn out. So at some point in time, if you're moving on this worldly view of your life and all of a sudden you lose your job all of a sudden your circumstance changes and what do you do with that and you begin to panic and you don't know what to do it's not in the plan that I had when the circumstance changed and you start to wonder okay what's going on here now a Christ-centered encouragement now, Scripture says that God will do more than we can imagine. That's what Scripture says. More than we can imagine. Our impact is greater and spiritual if we are Christ-centered in our life. We have a life of faith. We're cooperating and trusting God for all those. So when the circumstances change, how do we respond? We say, well, God is there. God's directing me. God's going to give me direction. And it's a different viewpoint. And you don't panic because you know God is going to take care of you. Adults need to know this as much as the kids do, really. But it's so important for us to realize all of these things. A Christ-centered truth and a Christ-centered encouragement is not discouraging. It's not discouraging at all. It's very positive and it's very faith building, it's envisioning. And that's something that we want to make sure we're doing for our children. There is so much. I'm not only touching the surface on all these things. We could do seminars on these, these things, but we have to keep moving. So I'm going to go to point four here, our last point. Evildoers will get it in the end. Okay, that's probably not the best point in the world, but I'm 
grammatically challenged anyway. So evildoers will get it in the end. Verses 22 through uh, chapter 4, verse 1, slaves obey in everything those who are, uh, in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, this passage, a lot of it, when we're looking at this, we're, we're looking at what's happening with, with slaves and the relationship with slaves and masters and bond servants and things along that line. Um, it shows the sinfulness of society over the years. Uh, it's, it's in, it gives us a real clear picture of what people had to deal with back then and actually not in a too far distant future because we have to apply these things to today. There is slavery that goes on today. There are those things. We're, I'm not going to preach a whole sermon on social justice, and the, uh, but to know that slavery has always been wrong, is wrong, always will be wrong, but this passage, it, just because they bring up slavery, uh, and a lot of people, when they look at scripture and it brings up a situation like that, they say, well, the Bible is pro-slavery, and it's not, and it's not why it's being brought. They are not promoting slavery in any way, shape, or form. But in the case of a Christian that is a slave, what are they supposed to do? How are they supposed to act? Are they to put into place this submission or obedience situation that, that's very difficult to do. It's hard to do that. Of course, they're in a much more difficult place than we are, and they are under the whole guise of, if you don't do this, you're, you're gonna be punished. It's punishable for disobedience. If we take this passage a little further, and we take it and try to, try to apply it to our lives and our everyday lives, we can start to apply it to, say, our jobs, how we work, who we work with. And we need to look at scripture that way. We work our jobs, we serve in our church. What is our motivation in what we do in those situations? How do we walk out our relationships in the church? Do we, well, looking at it as, as I please, just do we, do we do what we do in light of what people see? Or do we work in light of the glory of God? You see, once again, Paul is bringing out the importance of Christ-centered relationship. This has to do with relationship again. And it's important for us to realize it. A Christ-centered life you're, you're living, if you're living how man sees you, or are you living how God sees you? How are you living out your life? This eye service that is mentioned up, Paul brings it up. If we define that, it's working, it's, it has to do with working hard while someone's watching, but doing nothing when they are not around. So when they're around, you're, you're getting to work, and then when they leave, you kind of sit back and you take your break, and they're not paying any attention 
to you during that time. If you're a people pleaser, defining that, and this is kind of interesting, it has to do with the same term as courting someone. If you're courting someone, the favor of somebody, just like in a marriage, if you're courting a woman and you want them to be impressed by you, uh, you will do whatever you can to win their favor. And in, if, again, you look at the heart. What's the motivation behind that? If I'm trying to be a people pleaser, it's my motivation just to gain my own selfish and sense of fulfillment within myself. I think, you know, courting someone, courting a man, I think it's kind of weird anyway, so it's kind of creepy. So don't be a people pleaser. That's not what God wants us to do. We're not supposed to be that way. Paul says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not as for man. If your motivation is God, you'll do a better job. If your motivation is God, you will do a better job. You won't be relationally in turmoil with other workers because you're doing it as unto the Lord. You won't be in a relational turmoil with your boss because it doesn't matter. You're working for the Lord. See, this is why these things are so practical. And they're so hard to, to look at and to, and to bring out and to flesh out so that we can walk it out. See, we have an inheritance from the Lord. If we have a Christ-centered life, we're serving the Lord. We have an inheritance. We have a mission while we're here on this earth. And that's all that counts. That's all that counts. Now, if you're a boss, treat your workers fairly. Bauer, if you're a boss, treat your workers fairly. No. It's pick on Bauer Day, okay. Why? Because, and this is why. If you're a boss, you also have a boss. And your boss is in heaven, okay. So if you're a boss, treat your workers fairly because you have a boss who you hope will treat his workers fairly. And it goes down the line like that. So Paul also says, in the end, the wrongdoer will get paid back for his wrong. It's kind of like a movie. You know how you have these movies where there's the, the bad guy in the movie, the, the evil villain, and in the end of the movie, he gets his comeuppance and everybody beats him up or whatever he does. And, and everybody cheers at the end of the movie. The bad guy got it. Everybody's emotionally affected, and we're all happy. Well, too often we look at this this way. We're all happy about it. We say, oh, yeah, well, they'll get their comeuppance. They're going to get theirs in the end. I don't have to worry about it. God will take care of it. The wrath of God is going to come upon them, and I don't have to worry a thing about it. I don't think we really should be looking at it that way. It's not a happy verse. Verse 25 is not a happy verse. We shouldn't be cheering for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is not partiality. It's probably one of the saddest verses in the Bible. People facing the judgment of God. That's why God has us here, because people are going to face the judgment of God at some point. That's why God has us in the jobs that we're in. That's why he's given us the families that we've been given. That's why we're in the neighborhoods that we're in because someday people are going to be faced with the judgment of God. 
we have a message to share that can change lives, that can bring hope, that can bring deliverance, that can bring change. It's interesting, I think, in the next verse, the one not in our passage, but the next, next week's verse, chapter 4, verse 2, it says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. What we've looked at today is just foundational stuff. It's, it's life-changing information. But we're going to close with this. The great thing about this, it's directing us to a Christ-centered life. That's what Paul's trying to do in your families, in your workplace, with the relationship with your wife, with the relationship with your children, with the relationship with your husband. It is a directional push to a Christ-centered life, a Christ-centered family, and Christ-centered relationships. So remember, Scripture is Scripture, and it's good for us. And as we read it, check your heart. As we apply it, check your heart. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for sometimes seemingly difficult passages so we'll look a little deeper. And Lord, we need to look deeper. We need to look at our own hearts. We need to look at how we view uh, things because of culture today rather than what your word says. We need to look at things how, how you see things in a much greater way so that we are not hindered or, or caused to stumble because we have a worldly perspective. Lord, help us to be Christ-centered. Help us to have the vision that we need of what your word is saying is truth and it is good for us. So we ask, Lord, that you'll continue to work in our hearts and our minds. I pray, Lord, for families that are going through difficulties in different areas. Lord, I pray that you would help them and guide them and direct them in a, in a biblical way of just enjoying the graces that you have given and the order that you've brought. So we thank you for your love. We thank you for your care. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.